Hi there, this is Stephen Toulouse, otherwise known as Steptoe. You are listening to Versus the World Radio. Versus the World Productions. Scaring normal people on the internet since 2010. www.vtwproductions.com The following presentation is licensed under the Creative Commons Attribution Sharealike Non-Commercial License. For more information on Creative Commons licensing, please visit www.creativecommons.org. Extermination. Warning. Work corporate breach a lot sooner than you think. It's time, Snow Snow! Can't we just cuddle? No! Well, it really is a screwdriver and it's something. The following program is intended for mature audiences. You're listening to Alpha Geek Fridays, only on vtwproductions.com. Hello and welcome to a new edition of Alpha Geek Fridays. This is for January the 6th, 2012. Yeah, now that little intro that says, scaring normal people on the internet since 2010, actually feels like a long time now, because it's frickin' 2012. When did that happen? I am one of your hosts, Gnomewise, also known as The Other Todd, and joining me... Over the intertubes, yes, the series of tubes that you have heard so much about. My man from Canada, the amazing, incredible, possibly sexy, definitely tasty, Joel Duggan. How's it going? Very well, sir. Happy New Year. Happy New Year to you, too. Did you have an enjoyable holiday break? I did. I had a lovely, lovely holiday break and uh, had a lot of fun popping on to the uh, VTW um, New Year's Eve special there. That was the last time I talked to you. It was the very tail end of uh, 2011. Yep, that was our New Year's Eve spectacular, which uh, turned into a, oh, God, seven and a half hour um, marathon <laughs> oh, show. My. Yeah, wow. that was a lot of fun. Um, thankfully, there was a two hour pre recorded segment in there from Ken over at Show X. And to step away from the broadcast rig for a period of time and, and save my voice and my marriage. Um, <laughs> but yeah, we had some fun. We took some uh, listener call-ins at the end of the show, uh, and you know there were several people who, who stayed with us from the very beginning to the bitter end, uh, the, the chat room listeners with the most soul. And it was a, a grand time, and it's a, now available as a massive download on uh, vtwproductions.com under the uh, Alpha Geek Radio section of the website. If you want to listen to... God, we had... I can't remember everyone we had there. Let me take a peek at my notes, because we had lots and lots of guest hosts, guest hosts come on. Uh, new tab, you... And 
We had Ursi and Mr. NNJ from Difficulty Check 2nd Edition. Fuzzy Nisman and Autograph Cat from the Tadpoolery podcast, which would be of interest to the people in the uh, Tadpool right now. Furnirian and Aristile from the No Excuses podcast. Almighty Fireseer and Empress Zai, formerly of the Essence of Roleplay podcast. Emperor 1G in all of his glory from the Emperor's Court. Oh yeah, this guy Joel Duggan uh, from Comics Coast to Coast and uh, StarcrossedOnline.com. He wasn't very interesting. Uh, and this chick <laughs> that came with him, Jocelyn Moffat of the Gamers Inn. Uh, we had Nicole Spag. That's uh, Nicole Spagnolo from Ladies of Leet, uh, the final score, the movie licious, and co-creator of the Wood Whisperer with her brother, with her brother, <laughs> with her husband. Oh my! <laughs> that, there's a creepy as hell Freudian slip. What does that say about me? <laughs> wow! I'm, I'm thinking the Spags are creepier than they really are. I don't know. I just work here. And we had Chris, Caleb, Carrie, and Keith. From Indeed podcast, along with uh, call-ins from the listening audience, so it was a great time. Lots and lots of different people, lots of fun stuff. So that's go listen show. to it. That's a that's a big show. How did the editing go on that? Jeez, that, that was fun. <laughs> yeah, wow, it's a monster yeah. of a file. It was. It, I, mean, it, I, do, I, mean, I do a little. Uh, I do a little half an hour show, and it's like a gig uncompressed audio. It's like holy crap! I can't imagine a seven hour show. I managed to get it down to, I think, about 200 megabytes. Oh, wow. That was with every iota of music break edited out, uh, shoving the bit rate down to 56 from 128, so it's still listenable but not a behemoth of a file. Yeah, that was, mm. a, that was a fun edit, but um, you can either just listen to it on the website without downloading it. Just click on the link on the site, and then it'll just play in your embedded player. Or if you subscribe to Alpha Geek Radio, and, well, you should, uh, you've probably already got it on your podcast feed. So there it is in all of its lengthy, lengthy glory. And there's hardly any alcohol involved. I don't know what, what, what went wrong with me. There's usually a bottle of uh, vodka involved in those shows. Oh, well, we were drinking. <laughs> <laughs> well, you took care of it for me. I guess this is what parenthood has done to me. is it just mellowed yeah. me and, and wussified me beyond recognition. <sighs> we, had, uh, we had rum and eggnog on the go before we went out for dinner. So it was, uh, Ooh, it was nice. It was it was a chilly evening here uh, and raining, so we needed to kind of get in a, a festive spirit because the rain was coming down sideways in Halifax on New Year's Eve, and it was yeah. kind of a problem. So we picked up some umbrellas and and just tried to just you know relax and realize well it is what it is. It could have been worse. It could have been snow. If it had been snow, it would have been a really messy evening and probably some car accidents and stuff like that for people that were out in the boat. So at least it wasn't wasn't snow. Because uh, there would have been probably two feet of snow had it all been, all been coming down with the white stuff. But uh, mm-hmm. but that was good. It was a good evening. Uh, and did you did you uh, podcast right up until midnight? No, didn't go that far. Basically, went until you know, we ran out of material and didn't didn't want to force it. So it was it was a good four or five hours before midnight before we gave up uh, when we called it a night. So. It was never really the intention to take it directly to midnight local time, so the the feeling was, hey, it's New Year's somewhere, so Happy New Year, and called it a night and didn't want to drag it out for the, just the sake of making a long show. Right on. My uh, my co-host, uh, Laura Lundquist, on uh, the Dating Digital Podcast, she went out to uh, Vancouver 
for uh, New Year's, and she was celebrating New Year's across Canada all evening because she was in the last time zone. So she was able to do once an hour, um, starting with Atlantic Canada, and uh, half an hour ahead of that in Newfoundland. So it was the uh, first time she ever got to do that. I haven't had a chance to, to catch up with her since, but I'm sure it was a lot of fun. Yeah, it's uh, one of those fun things you can do when you're younger and don't have kids. <laughs> but I'm not bitter <laughs> or anything. No, not at all. You know, arch, arch nemesis has not you know completely torqued your social life, not in the no. least. But I, I, next week's <laughs> going to be interesting for me because I do get I take a break from the whole real life thing. Um, going off Monday afternoon, it looks like now, because unexpectedly I'm suddenly uh, driving my co-hosts who were originally going to fly, and now are suddenly hey he called me last night. Can we carpool with you? Because the flights we thought we were going to get don't leave at exactly the right time, so they're going to drive up with me Monday, and then they'll fly back later. So what had been a road trip is now turning into a carpooling road trip, which is not a big deal. And then basically Tuesday through Friday, covering the 2012 Consumer Electronics Show in Oh, you're Las going Vegas to see yes. Oh, hells yes. We go nice, as often man. as we can. Yeah. Well, that's awesome. Is that like with your your work officially, or is that with uh, VTW? I mean, we're going as a VTW team, but the way we get the passes is through my company. So I, I, I run oh. my own IT support company, and right. so I qualify for um, you know the free badges if you enroll early enough. So I get badges for the team, and we go, and then we do radio shows about what we've seen each day. Uh, speaking of which, if you are a regular listener of this this little show you may have heard of called The Morning Stream, uh, tune in at the very least on Tuesday. Uh, they'll be calling me in to talk about Consumer Electronics Show. And then since that, it's likely going to be the first of two or three call-ins just because when I call in on Tuesday, I won't have been to the show yet. So we'll be talking about what we are expecting to see, and then I should call in later in the week to tell them what I actually have seen. So to spread a little of the uh, Consumer Electronics Show coverage, joy, Scott's direction. So listen to the morning stream on the Frog Pants Network, www.frogpants.com. Pluggity plug, Nick Plugster. Yeah, so what, um, what are you looking forward to at CES? Do you have anything that's on your radar? Surprisingly, not. The, I've, I've actually been trying to think of what is likely going to be the big thing this year. Because last year, it was tablet, 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 and 3D, 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 3D. So they were talking about, here's the, the flood of iPad killers in the new tablet space. And also, here's the various technologies for 3D television, glasses, active glasses, passive glasses, no glasses, none of which really emerged as any kind of large force in the consumer electronics industry in the resultant year. Really not until the end of 2011 when Kindle Fire and the Nook tablet came on the scene did the tablet segment really heat up. And neither of those products was even hinted at during CES 2011. Every single one of the tablets we did see at CES last year really went nowhere in the big scheme of things. None of them was really a challenge to the iPad. And really, the Kindle Fire and the Nook tablet aren't a challenge to the iPad either. They appeal to a very different market segment. The, I want a tablet, but I don't want to spend a minimum of $500. So you can get a nice 7-inch tablet for 200 250 bucks. No camera, but you can do the basic tablet things that make tablets useful and fun. But 
on the heels of really an underwhelming last year, I'm kind of curious what they're going to serve up to us this year. Is it going to be, no, really, here are the tablets that are going to challenge the iPad, and here are the 3D TVs that we think will really take over this time. Honest, we really mean it this time. Um, so I'm not, I, I can't think of any killer app. There's, there's always the, there's the rumor and talk of, ooh, the, you know, Apple's going to do a television. Um, that's a year or two out, if it is even a realistic rumor. Um, we'll talk mm, about this a lot more, I think, in, in the third segment. Assuming, and we, we could try not to put the curse on it, but Mr. Tom Merritt from This Week in Technology, uh, Tech News Today, Sword and Laser Podcast, many, many other professional netcasting uh, endeavors will be joining us for our third half of the show today. And he is also preparing, you know, I'm going to professionally cover, uh, as a journalist, Consumer Electronics Show next week. So we can uh, bounce around these ideas some more once we've got him on the line. Looking forward to talking to him. Yeah, yeah. that's that's uh, it's kind of like a little reunion from uh, yep. the forecast show, which is actually yeah, that's where where Joel and I originally met. Your air quotes met or internet met. Well, uh, Scott it's close and, enough, you know. Yeah, this is true. <laughs> uh, we e met on an episode of Forecast over on <laughs> the Twit the Twit Network. What? What? E met. I love it. That's great. I'm totally than, using that. At least I didn't say e-grope. But anyway. Oh, uh, oh none of that. Uh, uh, stop talking. That's going into comic right now. Not, Excellent. The not, the, not, the, not the e-grope. There's no, uh, there's I'll no give you the address to send the uh, royalty check to later. Um, <laughs> the royalty so, yeah. check, is, check is about 10 cents, by the way. <laughs> I'll take it. 10 cents Canadian. So that, that's actually worth about 12 cents U.S. these days because your, your dollar is valued above ours. First time in living memory. Ah... Uh, <laughs> So yes, Mr. Scott Johnson had invited us both to appear on the show that he co-hosts with Tom Merritt, and that's the Forecast Show, the uh, trends of the future, what we think is coming, where we think the world is going, and the rest is history. Yeah, that was a that was a fun show, and then I'm curious to see, you know. I have to catch up on on forecast, but I, I'm wondering if in the the previous few weeks before the holidays, if anything at CES actually came up. You know, whether any of the the predictions for the short term are are things that might be hinted at. The, the things that I look forward to at CES the most are um, usually uh, car tech, um, because I I'm a green person and I like to see how how far we're getting along the lines of uh, electronic cars and alternative um, energy sources for transportation, uh, but also um, uh, art stuff. I, I'm really. I'm waiting for someone to come up with a way to be uh, to draw uh, with pressure sensitivity on an iPad or any tablet, for that matter. Uh, that, that doesn't cost you know twelve hundred dollars minimum. Right. And that's my that's my big thing. Actually, I was talking with uh, Peyton Francis uh, the other day, uh, a good friend of mine, and he was messing around with. Oh, let's see if I can get this right. I think it was an Asus yep. tablet computer. It was like twelve hundred dollars, and uh, that was the case. It was like just a one. It's like a, a as robust as a computer, but in a tablet form. Yep, so that's it's kind of the assist thing. Is is their approach is they're, yeah. everyone's waiting for what they call the Transformer Prime, which is their latest edition of that, and looks to be super sexy. Yeah, well, this this one that he had, I don't remember the model number, unfortunately. Um, I'll probably get him to talk about it on the Citadel Cafe next week, but it just it. It just didn't hold up. Like, he has an old tablet PC, like a laptop that folds around and 
folds flat so he can draw on it. And it's old. Like, it's two or three years old. Uh, and that technology back then wasn't great. It wasn't bad, but it was still functional. And that old laptop still performed better. The two of us were sitting around the TV over the holidays, uh, wrapping presents and doing some sketching and testing out these things. And uh, the, the, the Asus one just did not hold up to the to the uh, two- or three-year-old um, tablet PC. So um, I'm curious to see what might might come out. I, I really want to see something like, even if it was an attachment, like if I, I would buy an iPad if I could afford one for any, for any number of reasons. I mean, reading and surfing net, the net and all that kind of stuff. But even if there was like a USB or a, a, an attachment that was made for it that you could just plug into the bottom and then it would just allow pressure sensitivity somehow, like I'm not sure how that would actually work, but like it, I would I would be on board. Like that would be a must-have for me. You know, if I could sit in a cafe and sketch digitally with pressure, that would be fantastic. So, something along these lines. That felt good! You know, because <laughs> I always got to yes. have an excuse to get a, dro- a drop-in in there, because, you know, it's not a show until there's a drop-in. Yes, agreed. And, and yeah, it would, it would, feel, would feel really good. But, but yeah, well, um, actually, with, with CES, uh, with your, your free passes, do you guys get, get uh, gifts cards? Like, do you get to pick up cool stuff? They don't really do the prearranged swag bag per se. However, you will accumulate a ridiculous amount of handouts and things from individual booths. So oh, right, okay. You do get these enormous bags, empty bags, and as you cruise around, you accumulate all kinds of stuff. Now, it's not, not quite as fun as the kind of stuff you get from, say, a Comic-Con or from BlizzCon. Um, where they actually have the pre-prepared swag bag where you, you have paid for and received goodies as part of your uh, membership. But there's no shortage of fun little samples and uh, documentation of stuff to come. I mean, the, the breadth of stuff at CES is incredible. I mean, they occupy and overflow out of the Las Vegas Convention Center, which is an enormous facility. And they fill it, and they move, and they also take over adjacent hotels. So the the scale of this thing is incredible. You have everything from the huge vendors. You, know, you have the automobile vendors. You have Ford there. All the guys, you know, showing off their electronics um, portions of their vehicles. Microsoft's last year, this year. Um, so you have all the big boys, and you have down to what is probably a, a tiny little office in an industrial park in Taiwan. They will have a little booth in a smaller section, and they manufacture third-string um, cases and carrying fobs for older-generation iPhones. And that's all they do. And they've got their little display of just their product line and guys who manufacture special screws. I mean, stuff down to that, that microscopic level of the, of the industry. And you literally are talking to the guy from Taiwan who's part of the three-man business or whatever that makes this one little widget. So you can go all the way from the big boys talking about grand plans and huge 10,000-foot view of the industry to come down to guys who make fasteners and everything in between if you've got the time to go find them. Yeah, I mean, you can see it all. Um, It's exhausting because it's a massive sensory overload. Um, if you've ever been to something like E3 or Penny Arcade Expo, this is that, but to a larger scale as far as the, the big booths are huge multimedia presentations, each one trying to be louder than the next one and brighter and flashier, and oh, oh God, you, you definitely come home at the end of each day with your, your nervous system just 
attenuated and, and vibrating. Um, yeah, there's only so many days in a row I can handle of this. Yeah, I can imagine. Bring your comfortable shoes, too. It must be a oh, lot hell of yes. No, I lose weight. Every time I go to something like CES, I will drop two or three pounds. Um, and that's eating crap food and you know doing a really unhealthy schedule, but just a massive amount of walking. So you just, you just burn calories like nobody's business. Yeah, I can imagine. I can imagine. Well, what do you think? Uh, Want to move on to the uh, research thread? Yes, we have plenty of fun things here. Where did my drop-in go? Where is my... Na- here we go. And now, angry ticks fire out of my nipples. Yes, there's the official drop-in intro for news and weird things from the internet. Where would you like to begin? Well, I was um, I, I was reading this... this um post about 41 billion in gift cards not being used and I thought it was really interesting uh, there was a um, uh, an article um, even today I noticed a post on Kijiji uh, I was looking for some stuff here in town and a guy was selling his $15 iTunes cards probably things he got for Christmas and maybe he's not an iTunes user or whatever and right. he's trying to sell them uh, on uh, online and uh, I since have lost um, I, when I rebooted, I lost all of my pre-opened shows. Well, I can read the intro for you. This is off of NPR.org, and it's titled, Lost Money, $41 billion in gift cards have not been redeemed since 2005. You may have been given one, two, or three. You may have gotten one, two, or three gift cards. Now you may be wondering what to do with them. More on that in a moment. Since 2005, yeah. they say almost $41 billion worth of money in the gift cards has gone unclaimed. Holy crap. Unclaimed, but I'm, I'm assuming purchased. Yeah, well, so I mean, are, the, the vendors have to love this, where they, they get the money, they give nothing in return, and they get to keep the money. Yeah, really, though. I know, it seems like a strange, a strange way to... Um, to kind of, I don't know if I would be bragging about that, you know. As a, I mean, I know that NPR is not the vendors, but I just—it's one of those things where, like, you, I, I kind of want to spend that and and change the trend, you know. Um, one of the things that I, I know that you know they mentioned here is you know uncles and aunts trying to please f- um, fussy teenagers with gift cards because you don't know quite what to get, or every time you right. think you know what to get, the kid doesn't like it, sort of thing. Um, and uh, they mentioned a couple of alternative ways of of using um, cards that you may not want to use. So, I mean, the one thing that I really enjoy about iTunes and Amazon, if you buy gift cards for those two um, two stores, is that, man, it covers everything. I mean, there's apps, there's music, there's books. Amazon, you can buy anything you can imagine um, with an uh, Amazon card. Um, but the um, the two things that, that caught my eye um, were donating the contents of the card to charity, uh, and to do that, I'm, you can just call up your local favorite charity and see if they uh, accept um, cards of uh, the kind that you have. Uh, also, um, MarketWatch.com uh, had a, uh, a, an article where they mentioned Goalmine.com, G-O-A-L, as in goal for a hockey game. And uh, what you can do is you can um, upload the, the, um, the contents of your card into a, uh, an investment fund. I believe it's a mutual fund, and uh, as little as twenty-five dollars uh, can be invested. And uh, as a bonus, Goldmine will redeem your gift card for one hundred and fifty percent of its value. 
um, and uh, put it into a, a mutual fund savings account. I mean, I'm not sure how that might work with your local bank, but I mean, that's a, that's a neat way to take the money that you've given for the holidays to, I don't know, Bob's hot dog t-shirts.com that you don't necessarily want to spend that, uh, that gift card for buying a t-shirt. Although now that I say that, I kind of want a t-shirt with a hot dog on it, but um, <laughs> it's one of those things where you could, where you could totally just um, put it into an investment and, uh, and look to the future, which uh, it's, it's, you know, it's never too early to start. All that kind of stuff. So uh, I thought it was really, really nice way of, of dealing with uh, gift cards, um, despite the forty-one billion. Now, see, there's an idea. You know, people were talking about this one percent tax a little while ago in, in Britain, or this you know point oh oh one percent, whatever it was. Imagine if companies were required or of their own free will said, "Hey, this year we had two hundred and fifty thousand dollars." In gift cards that were purchased that were not redeemed, so we are going to donate that money to charity. I think their fear would be that then people turn around and start showing up with the cards and redeem them on top of them having given the money away to charity. Mm. I guess then you have to have a card that has an expiry date, and I, right. I don't. I think I think that's crap. I, I I think cards, any kind of gift card, should have kind of an indefinite. If it's given in like. The the most recent ones that I've redeemed have been iTunes cards. You know, you peel the sticker off the bottom and you enter that code. I mean, that code should be good forever until it is redeemed. And right. uh, I think putting limits on on cards is is bunk. So yeah, you're, that's probably not a great idea. But I don't know. Good. In, it's the thought that counts, right? This is indeed what we find. But yeah, mm-hmm. the uh, I was always dubious of the of the ones that slowly depreciate over time. It's like, did did the money uh, that I gave you? suddenly start losing its value or did, did it not spend the way you wanted to two years ago when I gave it to you I give you 50 bucks you give me 50 bucks worth of services later uh, where does the justification for depreciating it and keeping the money and giving me nothing come in other than the it's good for your bottom line so yeah no expiry dates thank you very much yeah and not uh, not for me not for not me, for me. <laughs> no Anything, uh, anything stick out for you for the, the research thread? Oh, yes. We have <laughs> something I would love to own myself. The From the movie, Back to the Future, the set piece, or the prize, I guess you can call it a prop, the modified DeLorean time machine, um... So for this is this is this is actually not the one I would want because it was from Back to the Future Three. So it's the one that's been back to the old West and has been re-engineered in the fifties. I would I would want the original uh, from uh, just Back to the Future One, but Back to the Future Three DeLorean sells for five hundred and forty-one thousand two hundred dollars. This is from <laughs> Fox News. Almost everyone of a certain age, and even some youngsters, are we are betting, will remember and cherish the Back to the Future trilogy starring Michael J. Fox and Christopher Lloyd. But perhaps it's not so much the actors that people remember, but another star of the series, the DeLorean DMC-12 Gullwing Time Machine. More than two days, two decades after the movies first came out, fans all over the globe were finally given their chance to buy their own place. Good Lord, pop-up ads. Dang it, get out of my way. <sighs> Oh, great. It took me to a Michael J. Fox story. That's not what I want. Fox News, your website design sucks. But I'm not bitter or anything. 
Uh, Back to the Future Nostalgia. A few months ago, Nike announced that it would be selling replicas of the Nike mag shoes from the second movie. And just a few days later, news surfaced that one of the original DMC-12 time machine prop cars used in the actual movies was up for sale. There were seven examples originally built, all their various modifications made by Doc, but but of these, only three are thought to remain in existence, according to auctioneer profiles in history. So yeah, this is one of the props from Back to the Future 3. So it's got the big 1950s-style white wall tires. It has the 1950s vacuum tube version of the uh, time control circuit strapped to the hood. Um, But it's still a stainless steel DeLorean motor car uh, gullwing underneath it. Um, I'm not sure if I would drop $541,200 on it, but... um, I would want the one that can that can you know actually fly, but maybe I'm asking for too much. While I'm at it, I want a pony. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, while while we're talking about charity, the the money was, uh, I think, went to the uh, Michael J. Fox Foundation for Parkinson's. Oh, excellent. Or part of, part of the proceeds, uh, maybe not the whole thing, but at least part of the proceeds went to went to that charity, which is always a good thing. Um, yeah, I, the only thing about owning a car from a movie is that I would have to be rich enough to also have a living room large enough to put it in. Exactly. Yeah. Or one of those huge 25-car garages where you have all of your collectible cars in it. Yeah, yeah. I mean, someplace... Because, I mean, you want it to be seen. So, and you don't want it to be like... I mean, you you could turn this into a really badass bar. Put a wet bar in the trunk or something. There you go. I would just just drive it. (laughs) Screw it. If I'm going to have a car, if I'm going to have the time machine from Back to the Future, I'm going to drive it around town. Yeah, and there's always going to be that moment of disappointment when you hit 88 miles an hour and nothing and happens. And you don't time travel, yep. <laughs> Damn it, Doc. Yeah. Well, you can always set the time circuits to two seconds in the future, and then, you know, you'll never know. There you go. You can pretend, I'm, right? I'm there. I've moved forward in time. <laughs> you're older than you've ever been, and now you're even older, and now you're even older, and so on. All right, that brings us neatly to our first break in the show. We have Mr. Tom Mayer joining us in another segment or so, though I have seen him show up on Skype, so we'll see what his timing is like. You are listening to Alpha Geek Fridays, live on Versus the World Radio, vtwproductions.com. Come check out all the fine shows by clicking on the Shows tab at the top of the page. You will be glad that you did. Keep an eye on the front page over there, too. We will be posting lots and lots of stuff there by way of good old-fashioned blog posts. Uh, during Consumer Electronics Show. It'll be myself, Octail, Doc Dead, Grail, and Daxa. And we should be flooding the site with uh, interesting observations, pictures, descriptions, impressions, and stuff. So there should be a great deal of activity uh, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday on the front page over there, in addition to our regular slate of podcasts and live shows. We shall return... Right after this. Versus the World Productions. Nerds on the Internet. What more could you ask for? www.vtwproductions.com This show is brought to you in part by Audible. Audible Audible.com is the leading provider of premium digital spoken audio information and entertainment on the Internet. 
With over 85,000 programs for more than 1,000 content providers, including leading audiobook publishers, broadcasters, entertainers, magazine and newspaper publishers, and business information providers. Audible customers can also have their Audible content wirelessly delivered to their smart mobile devices daily, even while sleeping, taking the computer out of the equation. To find out more, visit vtwproductions.com and click on the audible.com advertisement on the left-hand side. Or visit audiblepodcast.com forward slash vtwproductions. New customers in the United States and Canada will receive a free audiobook download when they sign up via that link. audiblepodcast.com forward slash vtwproductions. This is John Scalzi, and you're listening to Versus the World Radio. Alpha Geek Fridays continues live on Versus the World Radio, vtwproductions.com. And I've just seen Mr. Tom Merch sign on to Skype, so that bodes well that he will not be pulling a Terpster on us. But we're not bitter about that at all, are we, Joel? Not at all. I, I like that we're calling it pulling a Terpster, though. But of course, he will forever be in, enshrined in the annals of this show as that guy who didn't turn up. Yeah, we'll have to line him up for another show. 
oh, that is, that's my plan, and we'll make sure we have a backup guest that time, and everything will be fine. <laughs> nice. I'm sorry, did I say that out loud? Yeah. <laughs> we'll have to make sure it's a, a really appropriate uh, backup guest, someone that's a very good friend of his that could make fun of him repeatedly. Oh, I may be able to. I've, I've been talking to um, Total Biscuit, um, who is... They, we, we all used to do stuff familiar. together. He does um, netcasting of esports, uh, things like oh, okay. uh, StarCraft Two. Okay. Uh, so he does live commentary. He does commentary at big uh, competitions and such. And we oh, all, we I've, all. I've definitely heard him before. Yes, yes, yeah. yes, yes. We do the uh, we did the WoW radio thing in the past. So back then they would work together. So he he would be inappropriate. Also from the UK, um, would be a perfectly appropriate uh, emergency backup person to have to, who will of co- and will will savage him on the air because that's that's how he rolls. So I will see. Uh, when TB is available, and he's I think later in later in January, we were talking about having him on for a Friday, um, Alpha Geek Fridays, just to talk about esports in general. And but we could also have him roast his fellow uh, his fellow Brit uh, for a bit on the air as well, which I think would be highly entertaining for all those involved. Yeah, I'd love to watch. I'd love to talk esports with him because I've actually been watching a fair bit of StarCraft Two on my Apple TV. Uh, that I picked up for Christmas um, from my my dad, which was a fantastic gift. And uh, it depends on what caster you're watching on YouTube. Um, some of the feeds get cut off depending on how they put in their um, their overlays for for casting. Right. Um, sometimes the names of the players get cut off because of the overscanning, but a lot of times it's fine. And uh, I was watching. Who was I watching last night? Husky. I was watching Husky mm-hmm. uh, do his uh, commentary and stuff like that. And it's super fun to watch on 720 on my living room television. It's, it's, <laughs> it, it, it changes the experience completely. Like when you're at your computer and you're playing or you're watching on a YouTube video, I mean, you can make it full screen, but it's just, it still just feels like Tiny. you're sitting at the computer playing. Yeah. It's not, it's not like, it doesn't feel like a sport. It feels like a clip on the internet, you know, but yep. uh, watching it on, on the big uh, Sony TV was actually quite fun. I watched like two or three matches. And of course, because they're, you know, diamond level or above the matches are between 10 and 20 minutes long. Tops. I think I might have watched one that was twenty five because it was a funny match, and that's why he was he was um, streaming it. But uh, but it's great because you can watch two or three episodes inside of you know an hour, and uh, there's no commercials, and it's it's pretty entertaining for me. Um, I don't have to- a lot of time to play StarCraft two right now, but I, I used to, and uh, I I haven't really taken a huge plunge into watching esports, um, but I can see the draw. I can see how those that are so into it are. are so passionate about it because there's uh, it's a lot of a lot of fun to be had, especially if you have a showcaster like uh, Husky, who has a really funny sarcastic personality. And there's this mm-hmm. one there's this one game where um, I can't remember this guy's name, Big Bad somebody was pulling all these cheese moves, and Husky was cutting him a new one, and it was so funny. So yeah, I, listen, I listen to, I listen to the TV for much the same reason because I mean his his main website name is Cynical Brit, uh, so cynicalbrit.com. <laughs> He's the same, cut from the same mold, and when someone starts pulling cheese moves, he will savage them, and it's, it's entertaining just to listen to him be cynical and uh, be critical of the people he's commentating on. Yeah. What I like about it so much is that it's, it's very tongue-in-cheek, like it's very um, polite but condescending. <laughs> I, uh, I, really, I really enjoyed it. But um, speaking of, of uh, gaming and stuff, one of the, the stories that I noticed in our uh, research thread was about uh, Click Nation. Uh, this is a story from Joystick, 
And uh, Click Nation is no more. Long live Bioware Sacramento. But more yeah. Bioware. I'm down with that. Yeah, bring um, If you're in the habit of frequenting the free-to-play worlds of Six Gun Galaxy, Age of Champions, or Starship Command, you're probably familiar with their developer, Click Nation. Then again, maybe you aren't. But you're about to be. The independent social game developer was recently acquired by EA, and as their custom, sorry, as is their custom, given it, uh, they've given it a regionally appropriate rebranding as part of EA's development balance, uh, branches. Behold, Bioware Sacramento. Click Nation co-founder Mork, uh, Mork, <laughs> Mark <laughs> Otero, not not Mork from Mork and Mindy, Nanu Nanu. That would be that would be. Um, ah, 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 ah. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, they're not there. Uh, they're not in Sacramento. <laughs> Um, um, Mark Otero added in a press release, joining the Bioware and EA is uh, joining joining the Bioware, which is like the Facebook. I can't read this morning. I need another. I saw it. I'm on Liquid Venture. I'm really feeling mellow. Yes. Joining with Bioware and EA is an opportunity to realize our vision for bringing high-quality RPG titles to the fast-growing, high-energy core gamers looking for deeper experiences on social platforms. Um... I, I uh, more Bioware is good Bioware as far as I'm concerned. Yeah, but the the whole contradiction in terms there of looking for deeper experiences on social platforms. Uh, uh, that's yeah. not where I look for my deeper, better gameplay. In fact, I steer away like the plague from any kind of social network based gaming. Just I, I I perceive them as being the great corrupter and, and, and everything that's wrong with, with uh, casual gaming. They have, they have a, lo- a lot of uh, negative uh, to overcome, at least in my case, as far as to give me anywhere near uh, so- of social networking-based games. Sorry, not for me. Mm. Now, do you think social networking-based games in the hands of Bioware would be more engaging? Yeah, I just... I, I, would, I would be a heck of a lot more likely to give it a try with their name on it than I would... Anything else? I mean, I, I look at mm-hmm. uh, I look at anything in embedded in a web browser on a social media site, and my brain immediately goes to Zynga and Farmville, and then I throw up a little in the back of my mouth, and I'm done. Yeah, yeah, I know what you mean. Yeah, um, and I mean, I'm gonna I'm gonna sound I'm gonna lose some geek cred here, but correct me if I'm wrong. Bioware is one of the companies behind Star Wars: The Old, Old Republic, correct? They are the company behind yeah, Star okay. Wars: The Old Republic. So I, I knew I knew there was at least. I knew they were in there somewhere. I'm, I'm slowly catching up on my, my details on, on uh, tour. Um, but for me, like, there, there can only be so many full-on MMOs out there before the whole industry starts to just eat itself. And you're not going to see enough of a... I mean, imagine if four more fantastic, completely immersive MMOs come out, you know, in the next year. You know, I, it's not going to happen, but imagine if it did. Um, and they were all good, and they were all popular. You'd see people just don't have enough time in the day you know to play all these things and and become engrossed in it i barely had enough time for wow when i was playing so i feel like you know if i was bioware i wouldn't necessarily want to put out more than one fully immersive um game like tour at a time you know you kind of want to wait for one to kind of wane out you know i mean blizzard hasn't put out you know a second mmo and they probably won't until they're ready to kind of see who's ready to jump ship from WoW. You know, I, I think that social platforms might be a good way to do it. Mm-hmm. Um, we shall see. I mean, I think there's, there's a buck to be made from all these different types of gamer. I mean, there's a huge screaming mass of humanity that 
does not want to play an MMO, but eats up things like Farmville. So as far as from a business standpoint, I cannot uh, criticize their desire to want to expand that segment because there's a huge audience ready and willing to pony up to play that kind of game. Me, coming from a background of what I arrogantly refer to as real gaming, um, just have an automatic negative reaction to something like an in-browser Farmville-style game. It just rubs me the wrong way. Yeah, yeah. If anything, I'd like to see an MMO on a console. Like a kind of an action MMO. You know, kind of it's, how uh, DC Universe Online worked. I mean, they tried it. Um, the Final Fantasy Eleven was available um, on PlayStation and PCs, and you could play on the same servers from either... And it was one of the few games that uh, actually on the PS2 required the hard drive add-on. So it was an interesting experiment. Uh, I don't have any memories of it being a very big deal. Um, the limitations of the interface with you know trying to play with no keyboard, with the you know the DualShock controller. I I can't imagine playing something like an MMO without a full keyboard to interact with the world and the other players and the mm. you know WASD and mouse control. That's just that's what I think of when I think of MMO. Yeah, so no, I it's agree. been tried. Mm, I wonder if there would be, I mean, maybe we're, maybe we're, we need to wait for a new console. Like, maybe we need to wait until there's a console out there that has Bluetooth interface that allows you to use any keyboard you have. I mean, the PS3 or, has all those capabilities. Oh, really? PS3, That's already the PS, case. So I can, yeah, PS3 I can is embedded Bluetooth. It's got USB ports on the front. You can plug in a regular keyboard if you like. Yeah. Um, so it can be done. It's just a matter of is that the ideal interface for an MMO? Trying yeah. to read lots of text for um, now. Now with the proliferation of very good quality high definition TVs, where the text is actually readable, yeah, it, it may be getting closer to time. We'll see. Well, and there's a lot of um, there's a lot of voice acting and stuff in in Tor. So I mean, that could be um, something that would alleviate reading your TV a bit. Well, I mean, you've, you've given me a couple chances to segue here, but now I'm going to take it. You mentioned Tor again. Cause Do, this it. Is, this, Do it. This is, this is one that's near and dear to your heart. This is from toroz.com.au. So it's the Aussie uh, Old Republic site. Tor coming for Mac soon, in quotes. Joystick have a quick snippet of a quote from BioWare's co-founders on the issue of playing Star Wars The Old Republic on a Mac. From Ray Muzika, we've done a lot of Mac ports before of our games. We haven't announced any details yet for The Old Republic, but we know it's an important and large audience. And then another quote from Greg Zishuk. That's definitely one of the things we are looking at next. We want to get this launch under our belt and everything stabilized and happy, and then we'll look at other platforms, and that's obviously one of the first ones. There's not a lot of concrete stuff in there, but it's a hell of a step forward from BioWare's position to date, and will bring some joy to those not willing to run the game on a boot camp partition, which, for the record, works beautifully for me. Looking forward to a Mac port of the game? Joel? Yes. So what Very stops you so. from wanting to do just a boot camp? You know, make your machine dual boot Windows and uh, and Lion. Uh, my little MacBook that could is uh, from June of two thousand nine. 
Oh, never mind. And uh, yeah, the the I would have to run things so so low graphically, and uh, I have a, a small hard drive. It's only two hundred and fifty gigs, so um, I have to. Uh, I already have to partition it to have uh, both Lion and Snow Leopard running. I have some client software and some work that I do for toy design that requires Snow Leopard. So unfortunately, um, yet another partition uh, on my machine is just not in the cards. So um, I'm very excited to hear that there might possibly be a a Mac port or a Mac client for Tor. However, uh, I am incredibly disappointed that they didn't launch with it because I mean they yeah. could just they I mean they would have so many people additional people. On there. I mean, I know that most of the big numbers from Apple come from iPad and iPhone and all that kind of stuff. But I mean, if you look at their Mac sales and the Macs that are capable of running Tor, I'm sure that there are uh, millions of people out there um, well, that would uh, be potentially, not maybe not millions, but uh, a lot. Well, you look no further than World of Warcraft. I mean, Blizzard, yeah, precisely. Blizzard has done a spectacular job. At launch for pretty much all their products now, you know the Mac version ships alongside and is feature has feature parity with the PC version. It's it's the same game and the updates. You know they make a very very big point of it. There's an update for the PC version. There's an update for the Mac version. And they remain the same. They interop operate just fine. So you can play StarCraft two against each other. You will will be able to play Diablo three against each other. Wow, obviously you play on the same servers. My concern with the Mac port for Tor is that they might go down the road that Sony Online Entertainment went down where years after they had created EverQuest, they made a Mac version of EverQuest, and it was not server-compatible with the existing copies. So they had servers where the Mac people could play together, and they couldn't interact with the PC users. Oh, so I don't think they'll make that mistake. I hope not. No, uh, one would hope, but yeah, I, there's stupid people everywhere. But I, I feel like Bioware is probably savvy enough that they they won't they won't do that. Because I mean, alienating a group like that would just be. I mean, what you, would even you be the kill point? it as soon as you launched it. You know, like as soon as people find find that out, they won't buy it. You know, I yeah. I will play on a Mac with a PC version before I play on a Mac version that is server restricted. I mean, screw that noise. Yeah, this is indeed what we find. Um, so yeah, here's hoping that that port comes sooner rather than later. I'm, I'm hoping it's one of those things where they are... I mean, you look at what Apple did themselves, where when OS X was created, they secretly were developing the Intel version of the OS in the back room, and every time they released an update for the PowerPC version... They internally created a matching version of the Intel version. So when they actually got to the point where they were ready to roll out their Intel hardware, surprise, to the world, they had completely, I won't say bug-free, but all, all the troubleshooting had already been done on the OS, and they had a completely feature-identical version and application-identical version of OS X that ran undetectably differently actually ran better on the Intel hardware than the corresponding PowerPC hardware and it was a beautiful seamless no hiccups translation from PowerPC hardware to Intel hardware. I'm hoping that Bioware has actually been developing the Mac version right alongside the PC version 
and are just working out the final kinks before rolling out. Because they use the term, oh, yeah, we port our stuff all the time. Now, porting stuff, I mean, if you've ever played a port, it's invariably screwy in some way, clunky, the graphics are strange, just because they're using tools to try and simplify translating from one platform to another instead of purpose-building it and just sharing resources. You know, so they share the same graphics files, but the underlying engine is actually different on the two different platforms. Just you know, looking at how Blizzard has done it successfully, where they develop and they purpose-build it, they share the resources between the teams, but they have a Mac team and a Windows team that co-develop instead of... Windows team builds it, and then they bring some guys in after it's all done. So yeah, kind of you know after the fact, convert this to PC. After we've made all these decisions that are really good for PC development, they may be screwing you as a Mac developer, make it really hard for you to port this. Come in after the fact and port it. That just makes my skin crawl. Uh, I just hope that they're they've been planning for it all along and not just at the last second go. Yeah, let's let's try and make a Mac version. Go run back, you know, run along and make a port, and come back in a month, and we'll we'll just kind of release it and hope. Yeah, I mean, I'm reading between the lines here in that little snippet in the article, but it sounds like they're doing um, a co-development or a simultaneous development as opposed to a direct port. I hope um, so. That might end up, yeah. I would, I don't know, if, I mean, if if a couple of Friday morning podcasters can think of it, you, one would think that a giant video game company would also think, hmm, that would probably be bad. We shouldn't do that. Well, it's better. So, we also may not know... The bigger picture. I mean, I, I can talk yeah. about writing code all day long. I can't code my way out of a damn paper bag. So yeah, I don't know what it either. really takes to be a, a software developer. So I, I can armchair yeah. quarterback all day long, um, but I can't really speak uh, authoritatively about any of this stuff. I'm curious to see how many other um, Bioware titles are on Mac platforms. I, uh, I think that... Uh, there should, I imagine there's at least a few people that have Bioware titles on Mac. So, or um, are playing um, Bioware games on a Mac machine um, with a Windows Boot Camp install. You know, like yeah, either Boot Camp or VMware, or one of those fun yeah. things. Just just because they're running it in Windows doesn't mean that they prefer Windows. You know, they might just have it as a necessity. I mean, I know a lot of people that are gamers that have Macs, but they they run Windows because they they have to to really get any any decent. Decent games. Well, not yep. any decent games, but there's certainly fewer games um, oh, yes. for Mac. No- noticeably PC. fewer games available for, for pure Mac OS. All right, this brings us nicely to our final break. And Mr. Tom Merritt has turned up in Skype, so we'll get him all dialed in here for our final segment. Where we'll be talking to him about, very likely, uh, the upcoming Consumer Electronics Show. And what it's like to do this, this thing that we do for a hobby... Uh, that he does, actually, for a living. What a concept. Uh, Mind-bending. You are listening to Alpha Geek Fridays, live on Versus the World Radio, vtwproductions.com. We shall return. Got a little Molly Lewis here. This is uh, was recorded at our coverage of Wootstock 3.0. This is her doing I Pity the Fool. We shall return after this. Versus the World Productions. Podcasts and blogs by geeks for geeks. www.vtwproductions.com Craw more than 
love in dogfights and shopping malls and tax evasion and sexist tabloid culture and Brangelina and paparazzi and Proposition 8 and discrimination and neo-Nazis. But anymore, these things don't seem to bother me ever since I started hanging out with Mr. T. Scott Johnson, artist of Extra Life at MyExtraLife.com. And you're listening to Versus the World Radio. Alpha Geek Radio Fridays continues live on Versus the World Radio, VTWProductions.com. Myself, Joel Duggan, are now joined through the miracle of the intertubes by Mr. Tom Merritt of... This Week in Technology, or twit.tv fame, Sword and Laser, oh, what else am I forgetting here? Welcome to the show, Tom. How are you doing? I'm good, man. Thanks for having me on. Oh, thank you for coming. Uh, so what else have I missed that you do? Uh, <laughs> tech News <laughs> I Today. Know. I can't remember them all. <laughs> <laughs> tech News Today, um, Sword yeah, and tech Laser. Tech News Today is the, the, the main the show. Game. That's the, the most popular show. But yeah, I do a couple other shows on the Twit Network, Frame Rate, which is about cutting the cord. Forecast with Scott Johnson, which is just predicting the future. Triangulation with Leo Laporte, where we interview smart people. Uh, I do Tech History Today, which is a real short daily little bit about what happened on this day in history. Uh, then outside of Twitter, I do Sword and Laser, like I said, uh, Science Fiction Fantasy Book Club. I do East Meets West, which is kind of an experimental podcast with Roger Chang. And uh, the newest one I do is FSL Tonight, which is a science fiction and fantasy sports league uh, podcast, now, which I've been listening to and and really enjoying. It's a very very funny show, man. I think the show finally came into its own this morning, 
when we got our first troll hate post on their website <laughs> saying they were quitting the show. It's stupid. They hate Joss Whedon, and they're out of there. But I'm like, damn, we finally made it. Wait a second. Enough they listeners po- to, to hate us. They posted the words, I hate Joss Whedon on the internet. Yeah, I know. It's like, oh, you're winning, friends, buddy. <laughs> there's, there's a house is going to fall on them now. I mean, <laughs> yeah. you, you just don't do that. Yeah, it's the first troll with trolls. There you go. Yeah. Comes with his own Joss Whedon, Joss Whedon defender trolls, you know, <laughs> following <laughs> him around trolls. everywhere. Trolls are uh, trolls. <laughs> yeah, well, they, I guess they'd be under them, wouldn't they? Because of the troll yeah, under the yeah, bridge right. thing. Yeah, that's true. Classically speaking, yes. you're right. Of course. So with, the- um, with all the podcasts that you do, Tom, do you, do you ever run into like professional conflict and have to like turn down shows because they, they overlap content or um, because of your pre-existing stuff with Twit? No, I, I don't believe in that kind of stuff, generally speaking. I mean, I, I would turn down a show if they were saying, we would like you to come on and we will pay you uh, to endorse our product that you hate. Uh, that, that's the only kind of thing I would turn down. You know, I, I, I'll go on any of CNET's tech shows or, or any of the, the Verge or Gadget or pretty much anything because I, I, like my boss, Leo, believe in coopetition. I think it's always good for everybody when you help each other out, even if you're doing, you know, pretty much the same thing. I mean, Leo would come on Buzz Out Loud all the time when I was at CNET and we'd come on Twit and, and it was just, it was good for everybody. So, um, I, I don't see that as a big problem. And Tech News Today is probably the only show I do that really has a lot of overlap with other shows. There's not a lot of other people doing um, science fiction, fantasy, sports league podcasts. Uh, and, and and things like Tech History Today, there's a few other people who've, who've tried it and done it out there. But, you know, the, the more the merrier. There's lots of history to go around. I mean, Tech News yeah, Today no, I, is... Go ahead. No, uh, go, go ahead, Todd. I said Tech News Today is... is fairly broad in the kinds of things you cover when you're not getting banned from YouTube. <laughs> right. <laughs> when we're not uh, suffering a takedown notice. Uh, yeah, that was that was a fun time back in December when we got the uh, the takedown notice for the Universal Music Group. But yeah, I, I, I like to see Tech News Today as sort of welcoming in all of tech journalism. We try to have as many different reporters from as many different places. We're always inviting different people on trying to expand the voice and and i want to see that as sort of our niche is to bring all those folks together and 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 get different perspectives uh and i think there's also a place for folks like cned folks like the verge to to do something that's very directly their voice uh rather than rather than the broad conversation and it's kind of room for everybody there I think that um, that spirit of the coopetition too that you mentioned is something that's really kind of taking hold online with um, podcasting, with uh, netcasting, with uh, even online comics or any kind of um, kind of uh, free model where you're giving it away and then it's ad subsidized or it's subsidized by merchandise or, or other things. Um, the, I mean, the the more of a community that you build. The better, right? So it 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 seems to be growing in my mind with the amount of people that are doing that kind of thing. I mean, I know from just my little endeavors into podcasting that I'm noticing the cross pollination and the people that I'm meeting, things that are just they were just never happening for me when I was just working as a freelance artist and you know um, charging for what, for everything that I did until I started getting online and doing the the coopetition thing. Um, I, I'm starting to see real growth in in terms of um, I guess my reach 
And uh, I can only imagine. Um, do, you, do you find that you get uh, run down by fans when you go to things like CES or, or other big conventions? No. <laughs> I no. don't. <laughs> it's, it's something. It's funny. It's like the kind of fame people get on the internet, especially in podcasting, is very specific. So, uh, for the one thing, it's not uh, it's not a mass audience. Uh, I, I still get kind of blown away if I'm like at an airport and somebody comes up and says, "Oh, hey, are you Tom Merritt?" I was actually at. Uh, we went to see Mission Impossible: Ghost Protocol, and the guy we sat down next to the theater said, "Are you Eileen Rivera?" To my wife. Uh, and she's like, oh, yeah. She's like, oh, oh, hi, Tom. I'm a, I, I'm a big <laughs> fan of Twit. And he, I was like, oh, that's cool. And and the other thing is, at least in our audience, we're lucky enough to have really nice, smart people in the audience. So right. nobody's going to run you down. Nobody's going to run up and, you know, try to, to push you around, take advantage of you. Uh, they, they're usually very respectful and, and just, just want to say hi and maybe maybe chat a little. Every once in a while you'll get somebody who's a little socially awkward or whatever, but, you know, I used to be incredibly socially awkward, so I, I, I know where that's coming from, and I try to be real patient and, and nice. But, but that's the exception, not the rule. And, and for the most part, you can just, you know, any, any of us, uh, and I think even Veronica Belmont would agree, uh, and she's she's got you know the millions of Twitter followers. We we walk around and and most people don't even notice we're there. Well, I would I would just give you fair warning. I have really well formed plans to stalk you at CES this year. So just <laughs> be ready. I'm going to make everything you just said untrue, Tom. <laughs> I will yeah, change so, so your the world under the balcony in the South Hall. Yeah, right. right. <laughs> It'll be done. That would be me. Well, no, CES is definitely a place, you know, especially around the stage where you get a lot of people coming together. Uh, but, and, you know, I feel bad because here I am on this stage and there's a bunch of people showing up and they want to say hi. And I'm, I'm prepping for tech news today. And anybody who's worked with me at either CNET or Twit knows, you know, in that hour or two before tech news today, before the show, I am focused. I am, I am digging into those stories. I'm trying to make sure we don't get facts wrong. I'm trying to make sure I understand the story, that I know the story behind the story, uh, because we have got the smartest audience in the world, and they are going to hold me to everything, and they're going to correct anything we get wrong. Uh, and so I, I come off as, as kind of uh, like I'm ignoring everyone, but as soon as the show's over, I try to then, if I don't have to rush off somewhere, at least make some time to go be a little more personable. But don't take it amiss if I'm sitting up on that that uh, that table with my head stuck in my laptop, and I and I don't say hi. I'll I'll come up for air afterwards. I'll just I'll throw small objects at your head until I'm satisfied. Okay, that's fair. It's <laughs> good to have a plan. <laughs> Are there any uh, um, social events around CES, or is it all business all the time? It's you know it's funny. That's uh, the answer to that is yes. In a way, I, the whole thing is a big social event. In, in, in a lot of ways. I mean, CES's avowed purpose is really for the retail buyers to look at what's available for them to order for the coming year and maybe strike some deals with the vendors. And then a secondary part of that has become, over the decades, uh, exposing the stuff to the press and having it reported on and making a splash and getting some headlines. Uh, but it's all very much in, in, in a networking kind of shake hands, exchange business cards kind of way that's very, very informal. I mean, it's the classic, you know, the shoe salesman conference. There's there's lots of parties in the evening, uh, but business is being done at those parties and, 
and there's lots of fun being had during the day on the floor, uh, you know, so it kind of mixes around. I don't spend a lot of time at CES myself just hanging out. I usually try to seek out a few friends. Uh, Veronica and I have a tradition every year, and, and, and Molly Wood and I have been trying to do this uh, as well, where we, we find one part of an evening to just go sit in a bar and have a drink and not be involved in, in anything related to the industry uh, to get a break. But most of the time, it's just a constant flow of one thing into another. Uh, in the evenings, for instance, there's these press conference parties where they have martini bars and free food and beer and a bunch of card tables with all the major uh, manufacturers and vendors showing off their stuff. Uh, so, yeah, it's fun. Uh, but it's also work because you, you gotta, you're supposed, supposed to be there to, to go and talk to all those vendors. Yeah, I, I imagine there would be a lot of uh, little pods of people that are, you know, like, well, like you said, with you and you and Veronica uh, getting together and stuff like that. Do you, um, I don't know, I was, I was going to, I was wondering if you had any kind of products or concepts or even discussions that you're looking forward to have, uh, to having uh, next week. Not particularly. I actually, I actually don't look forward to any of the conversations. The, the, the one problem with CES is you don't have a lot of the people who actually make and understand the products. You have a lot of press people, a lot of PR people, uh, some of which are very knowledgeable. I don't, I don't want to slam the industry. There's, there's some real good PR people who know their stuff out there, and I always look forward, forward to seeing them. Uh, Brian Jacquet, uh, for instance, uh, is is a guy. I, he's been at Slingbox. He's been at Roku. Uh, he's he's been at a bunch of different companies, and I always look forward to seeing him because he knows what he's talking about. And he doesn't try to BS you. But there are a lot of people I think who are at their first conference, or they've been hired on just by the company just for this. And as soon as you ask a deep question, they're they're miles away. So so the conversations are n- not usually that great. And the products are often overhyped. It's 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 lo- it's like looking for a diamond in the rough. You're looking for a needle in a haystack. Uh, I I could probably come up with a dozen other metaphors, but it's it's trying. You're trying to dig to find that one thing that isn't overhyped because everybody's talking about how awesome their thing is. Yeah, right. I mean the, the metaphor I normally go for is it's like looking for a needle in a stack of needles. Yeah. Yeah, looking for a good sharp needle in a stack of needles. Now, earlier in the show, we had been talking about CES 2011, where the big things they were trying to jam down our throats were, hey, tablets, 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 and 3D, 3D, 3D. And I really look at 2011 and say those things really, especially the ones that we saw at CES, went nowhere in the large scale of things. What... What do you think is they're the big deal that they're going to try and get us all excited about will be this year? I mean, what's, what's the big hot item in consumer electronics from their perspective that they want to get us on board for? Yeah, that's, a, that's, the, that's the question, right? Because that seems to be the problem is they're always pushing something on you. Is 3D TVs two years ago. This year it's going to be Ultrabooks. That's what they're going Ooh. to be trying to push on everybody. Here's our thin light laptop that meets an arbitrary definition decided by Intel uh, for Windows-based machines to compete with the MacBook Air. And there's some sweet-looking laptops, I have to say, and the specs aren't bad, but I'm not sure how huge the market is for these things. Generally, they're less than $1,000 in price, so they're not terribly expensive, unlike a 3D TV or something like that. 
but again, there's going to be so many of these that I think it's just going to be silly. I think we're also going to see a lot of television content gadgets. Uh, a lot of people trying to push the it, whether it's an actual TV or a set-top box, the idea that we have the solution to your internet TV needs. Uh, and I don't think anybody at this conference is going to have that solution, but there's going to be a lot of people uh, claiming it. And I think we'll see a lot of Windows tablets, uh, people sort of in advance of Windows 8 trying to position themselves as the, the folks who can bring you the real Windows tablets. And I think we're going to see another avalanche of Android-based tablets as well. Do you find that you get more um, excited about uh, consumer products that are ready or almost ready or things like proof of concept, like 4K TVs or a lot of that? Like there's a story the other day from, I think it was LG that had a, a four millimeter or, or a six millimeter thin display. Yeah, the, uh, the, the uh, what was it, the 55-inch uh, yeah, OLED or something? Yeah, yeah. I actually get more excited for something if it's, it seems like it actually might ship because it's such a rarity. Mm-hmm. Uh, but then on the other end of the scale, the, the wow stuff, the stuff that's going to impress you, like, you know, a, a TV that's, you know, a few millimeters thick, that stuff's always on the on the the outs and that's always the more impressive stuff because it's stuff you've never seen before uh the the joke at ces though is that you'll see it again next year as the big new thing again and that that's usually true bluetooth was that way i remember back in the late 90s uh they started announcing bluetooth and here are gadgets that are going to use bluetooth and every year it was the hot new thing were bluetooth gadgets but none of them ever shipped until finally you know i think 2001 2002 we finally started seeing our first Bluetooth gadgets, and now it's everywhere. Uh, so sometimes that stuff just takes a while to catch on. And I think that OLED's actually a pretty good example of that. I think we'll see OLED displays, OLED displays, uh, within a few years. But it seems like every year that's been a thing. In fact, I think it was two, three years ago when the you know the 21-inch OLED display was the, the big hot uh, item on the show floor. And, of course, that... Those ship, but they're incredibly expensive. It really hasn't caught the marketplace yet. Yeah, there's all kinds of things that do ship, but they don't ship. In a, in like, I remember looking at the Motorola Zoom tablet last year and saying, "Ah, finally, something that will challenge the iPad feature yeah. for feature." And then it finally ships with a price point that just made me throw up a little in the back of my throat. It's like, what? Yeah, I uh, predicted that it wouldn't ship, and it and it did. So. But it shipped at a price that made it a non-story. It's like, oh, you're exactly the same price as the most expensive iPad, and there are no cheaper alternatives. I'm going to go buy my iPad now. There was also the lap dock, the little laptop that you could put your your Motorola Atrix in uh, and use it as a laptop. And that also shipped at a crazy price as an accessory and and has never caught on either. But that was a big wow item at CES. Uh, and, and going even back a few more years, the HD DVD Blu-ray combo unit was like best of show. I don't think that thing ever shipped. I think HD no. DVD finally died before it got a chance to get out the door. Yeah, no one cared. It's funny, actually. I was listening to the uh, at the best of Twit. or Sorry, I think it was the best of TNT. Mm-hmm. And uh, you guys were talking about HD DVD. And I was completely baffled. And then I realized it was a clip from your um, April Fool's show. 
Oh, we got so much heat for that. You got me again. <laughs> you got me. I was I was so confused. I was yeah. like, wait a minute, why is he talking about HDD? Did I miss something? I was like, I watch TNT all the time. How did I not catch this? And of course, I realized, oh, it's a clip from April first. Ha ha, got me again. Son of a gun. Yeah, yeah we I, decided. Uh, first of all, April Fool's Day in technology news is a horrible day now because all everybody does is come up with their fake. April Fool story. So we thought, I thought actually, it would be cool to instead of just trying to scrape together the few scraps of actual news and cover all of those crazy funny so-called funny stories, we would just do a trip back in time as if we were doing the show 5 years earlier. So we used real stories and analyzed them truthfully as if it were 2006 instead of 2011. Uh, but and a lot of people liked it, but there were uh, a section of the audience that were upset that we did that. Closet trolls, all of them. Yeah, maybe. I don't know. I could. I could see where. I think they just. Those are the people who didn't realize if we had done a regular show, it wouldn't have been that great that day because there just wasn't a lot of news. Yeah, and well, I mean, slow news day plus. You know, the other section of your listening audience, there would be an expectation. Oh, they, why, why didn't they do an April Fool's fun thing? You had gotten heat. There, there was no correct answer, so you did what you could. Definition of a troll. You can't do anything right. Damn right. There's, there's, there is no win scenario for you. Troll in the dungeon thought you should know. The, I wanted to ask you some questions. You've been involved with the development of Twit going how far back now? Uh, June 1st, 2010 was when I started there. Okay, and you came out in your previous life was uh, CNET involved, correct? Yeah, I came to CNET as their editor of user engagement uh, in July 2004 after Tech TV imploded. <laughs> Ah yes, the great tech TV saga, as it were. The um, this week in tech or twit.tv, we you know we who do this kind of thing from the hobby standpoints, we've got versus the world productions, which is our netcasting hub for hobbyists. Look over at Twit and say, "Wow, looks like you can do this what we are doing, but for a living." Now I look at the amount of work we have to do. To do this, air quotes, for fun, for a hobby, and it must be staggeringly uh, draining to do it. I mean, is, is it as much work as it appears to be to maintain the level of quality we see coming out of Twit over there? What's your, what's your work experience like doing netcasting as your career? Uh, well, it's great, actually, because when I was at CNET, I was doing a lot of podcasting. But the podcasting that I did there started as a side project. It was not my main job. And in fact, at one time, I had a boss tell me I needed to stop doing it and focus on my work. Uh, so it was great to go to Twit, where doing podcasts was my job. Uh, and, it, and in fact, I think it was the first time in, in a long time where what I was enjoying most about my job was my main reason for doing my job. When I was at Tech TV, uh, I was doing a website at a television network. So I was always the side priority to the main thing, which was the television shows. Uh, and then when I was at CNET, I was doing video and podcasts at a website. So I was, again, doing the side thing from the main purpose uh, of the company. And when I came to Twit, I'm doing what we do which is uh, shows. So I love it. I enjoy it. It's, it's not hard from that perspective because there's not a single show that I 
kind of cringe at and say, ah, I wish I didn't have to do this show. In fact, if I ever start feeling about that way about a show, it's a sign that it's probably done. Uh, but it is a lot of work, especially Tech News Today, trying to make sure that you got the right stories and all that stuff I was talking about earlier, you know, researching and, and working on the facts. And having Ayaz and Sarah on board helping me with that is a huge help. I could not do it without them. Uh, Jason Howell running the board and gathering all the assets and the bites. Uh, I don't know what I'd do without him. There, there would be no show. But uh, it's still fun, even though it's a lot of work. I, it's a lot of work that I enjoy doing. So that you know usually when you say work that's the opposite of fun and and that's not the case here well i, I hoped awesome. as much yeah i was suspected and, and was hoping that it was true that it was actually possible to do what we do for a living and have it not lose its joy so good on you and I, I, <laughs> may that may that never change well and that's the thing i feel like leo is just doing twit because it's fun and he's figured out, how, with Lisa's help, how to turn it into a business that we can all benefit from. So it's, there's a principle there, you know, and it's been captured in, in books like uh, Do What You Love and the Money Will Follow and, and, and other, uh, other less self-helpy books, which is, you know what, if you're passionate about something and you pour your heart and soul into it, there's a way to make it work for you. And, and that, that's true on lots of different levels. I have moved Forecast, for instance, into Twit, which is a show that I just started with Scott Johnson because we wanted to do something together. You know, we just wanted to have fun together. Uh, and and I've done I do Tech News Today because it was the thing that I absolutely loved to do. I created the show from the ground up with Molly Wood at CNET as Buzz Out Loud, and so I've just taken my perspective on that and continued with it. Uh, and that's true of all the stuff FSL Tonight was just an odd conversation with Justin Robert Young at DragonCon last year that we decided to run with. We'll see if that ever turns into an actual business idea or if it's just something fun to do. But you, you have to be willing to, to take those chances like you guys are and say, you know, we just want to do this. And, and hopefully it'll, it'll turn into a, a sustaining idea. But the reason we do it is for fun. And I think that, that sticks around if that's, if that's your original point of doing it. Yeah, I think, I mean, I'm, I'm having a, a brain fart right now. What's the name of the show that you do with Roger Chang? East Meets West. East Meets West. And that, that was on Twit at one point, was it not? Yeah, in fact, we took it off Twit because that was starting to feel like a job. Uh, East Meets West was started by Roger and I in 2005 because we were both doing podcasts at our respective jobs. He was at GameSpot at the time, and I was at CNET. And we wanted to do something that wasn't... Uh, content dictated by the workplace. Uh, we wanted to do something where we could just spout off and talk, and so we did that. And we said, we said from the very beginning, we'll, we'll, we don't need to research topics. Uh, it's this is a break from uh, the way we do everything else. We're just going to sit down, record for thirty minutes, press the stop button, and then put it out. And that's what it is. And if people like it, they like it. And if they don't, they don't. And 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 it's it's more for us than anyone else but if anyone else enjoys it we'll welcome them in to the tent and when we started doing on on twit at first it was fun because you get that big chat room and you get the the live stream and everything but after a while it was no longer east meets west because we had to show up at five o'clock on sunday and we had to do it on sunday and we had to tell people when we didn't want to do it on sunday uh, and so we, we pulled it off because we said, well, you know, that's that's against the spirit of that particular show. We 
we want that show to just be for fun. So we went back to just doing it as audio only and doing it whenever. And usually what happens is one or the other of us will text text podcast with a question mark to each other of an evening and then we'll figure out, oh, okay, yeah, I'm, I'm almost done eating. We'll do it in a half hour. Uh, and and we find that we're enjoying the shows more again and I think we do them more often because we don't have the pressure to do them. Yeah, I mean, I, I'm experiencing the same thing with one of my shows. I wanted something that didn't have a topic and was just kind of, you know, me and a couple of my friends talking. And anybody that enjoys it are probably enjoying it because I've known these guys for 20 years and we're just joshing around and having fun as opposed to tuning in for any one particular topic. And I, I for when I listen to East Meets, East Meets West, that's why I usually listen is because I know you guys are just going to chill out and, and have some fun with it. And uh, I noticed the difference uh, on Twit, and I'm, I'm looking forward to... Uh, um, to the difference again now that you guys are back to just you know throwing the ball around and, and having fun um, with with um, a schedule like you have with Twit and uh, when everybody there is, is is as passionate about podcasting and, and tech news and stuff as you guys are I imagine that a lot of what you do bleeds into your personal time but then you've got personal projects that also take up personal time and where, where do you find the time of the day to do it all? Like, do you have a 36-hour day that you haven't told us about? <laughs> well, that's the thing, right? A lot of these podcasts were the things that I did in the evening for fun after my job at CNET. And what's been weirdest about working at Twit is that division has gone away. Uh, I don't clock in. I don't have anybody saying, well, you need to be at work at 9 a.m. So I, I spend my morning at home. Uh, working on on looking at stories, reading stories, researching, uh, but it also mixes into you know washing up dishes, taking the dog for a walk, going for a jog. Uh, it all kind of blends together, and so that 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 evening hobby has kind of blended into the the mix as well. You know, I do I do some work in the evenings for for all kinds of shows, and and really. The one thing I've had to get used to is I don't have a sharp division where I can say, okay, this is my off time and this is my on time. Uh, and I've had to take a little more uh, of an approach of, of scheduling myself so that I don't pile up a bunch of things on top of each other and become miserable. But but really, you know, other than just basic calendar and task list kind of stuff, I don't, I don't have any super secrets. Uh, again, it's just... You know, if I sit down as I did last night, and I I listen to an episode of FSL tonight and edit it, uh, make sure that it's sounding smooth and publish it. That's fun. That's not something where I said, okay, I've got to do this. So, you know, drag me in here. Uh, it's it's something I enjoy doing. Awesome. Um, I, I have a, a selfish question um, just before <laughs> we we wrap up. It's it's um I, I find what you guys do so intriguing and uh, I'm trying to find a balance between my interest in, in podcasting and, and tech stuff uh, with my artist work and, and all that kind of stuff with regards to the fact that you have a journalism degree I'm sure many other uh, people that you worked with also went to school for journalism versus a kind of public social education in journalism do you have any kind of a, a advice for aspiring contributors to podcasts that they might be able to hone their skills without going back to school and taking kind of formal classes yeah, I'm. I'm sort of shocked that I actually use my degree, or that I, you know, I, it appears to be that I'm using my degree because when I graduated from journalism, uh, I went to graduate school at UT for a year, and I was working at a bookstore, and I was doing a website, and I was starting a theater company, and did some access television, and it really didn't look like anything I was headed towards doing 
was going to take advantage of my journalism degree. I wasn't trying to get a job at a newspaper or at a or at a television news channel. Uh, and then it just sort of ended up happening that I got into through through computers through wanting to do you know computer stuff. I ended up getting into computer journalism and tech journalism. So I don't think that my journalism degree was why I got into what I'm doing. I, I, it certainly doesn't hurt, and it definitely prepared me for certain things like learning how to write. Uh, but I, I feel like the thing that helped me the most was doing it. Uh, in the late 90s, I had a computer and an internet connection uh, on dial-up, and I started doing a website. And I did it as if it were a real thing. Even though I didn't have any money coming in and there was nobody backing it and nobody knew about it, I actually recruited writers online and I had them on a schedule and I would edit their works and I would publish every week. Uh, and I think that, more than anything, prepared me for when I actually went for a job interview at ZDTV to be able to say, well, yeah, I understand how this works. I've been doing it on my own and I've been doing it for cheap. So I can try to help you save money and look for, you know, cheap ways of doing things that corporations may not think of. Uh, and with podcasting, again, it was the same thing. I was, our, I was in a big company and I had a job editing a homepage and writing help articles. And I just started doing it. You know, Molly Wood and I would just go in at first just once a week and sit down and record. And, yeah, I had, I had some background in radio and some experience, but we didn't have any background in podcasting because nobody did. So we kind of learned as we went, and we listened to the audience and paid attention to what people like. So my advice to folks if they're saying, you know what, I want to get into this, is go do it. That's the lovely thing about the Internet. You don't have to get a job at a radio station to do radio anymore. Just start doing your show. Uh, it's, it's fairly easy if you've got a computer and a microphone. Uh, it, all the rest of the stuff is free. You, you can download Audacity. You can post your stuff on, uh, on uh, archive.org, and you can use FeedBurner and a free blogger account, and boom, you got yourself a podcast. Uh, and then the important part after you're doing it is to get better at it. And the way you get better is to get people to listen to it and tell you about it. And if you can get actual listeners that you don't know on the Internet to listen to it and start getting into it and give you feedback, listen to them. Well, that was actually a question, since we're picking your brain. Um, you had mentioned earlier when talking about East meets West of toning it down to the we do it when we feel like it and we, don't, you know, we, we want it to be fun and we don't want it to be have to turn up at a particular time and do it every single time in a regimented sort of way. Over at Versus the World, we'll let pretty much anyone who wants to develop a show develop it, and we'll host it for them. We'll teach them how to do their RSS feeds and give them a forum. But the one requirement we do have, and we think makes a, a big difference between the, the seething mass of kind of sort of irregular podcasts and ones that can get decent listenership, is we do want people to put out something on a schedule. We don't care what that schedule is. You can say we're going to have one every other week. We'll have it once a month. We'll have it every single week. Just say what your schedule is and then deliver on that schedule because I think the listeners want to know when to fire up iTunes and download your episode and want it to be there reliably. If it's here, there, and everywhere, I think you're going to lose people because they're never going to know when to expect something from you. Do you think when you're trying to get your, you know, your very first show going for the first time, it's... I think it's important from the standpoint of the listeners knowing when to expect something from you and it kind of makes you practice your art every single week or every other week because you say, well, I've got to do an episode. I promised I would. Do you think that kind of consistency is important? 
Yeah, I do. Th- I do think that's important. East Meets West is a horrible example. Do not follow it if you want to be successful. <laughs> I, East Meets West is our break from doing the right thing in all of the other uh, podcasts we do. It's kind of kind of a release valve, if you will. If you want to build an audience and you want to get better at something, then you need to be regular about it and 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 that regularity goes a long way to keeping an audience if they know like okay every even if it's every two weeks even if it's every month weekly is usually best though uh so they don't forget about you and they know okay on friday you know afternoon i'm gonna get a new episode of whatever it is uh that that is essential and like you say it's a it's essential from a practice standpoint to force yourself to to get in front of that mic, even if you're a little nervous about it, and do the show, and and usually after the show is over, you know you you it won't be as bad as as maybe you feared. It's like going to the gym if you're nervous about it. But if if you if you love doing it, you should be looking forward to it a little bit anyway. Uh, and and so then it's just a matter of scheduling the time and making sure you can you could do it and people understand if you've got a conflict one week or whatever that's fine but but you should try to commit i I absolutely agree uh and and that will that will help in building an audience and it will help in making you better uh something like east meets west is good to do aside from that as to to have a place to experiment uh and that you know it sounds like the podcast that you're doing as well is is sort of just a fun thing for you to kick around ideas and and ideas will form, and you can play with them there. That you, then you can pull into your your main shows if you want to. Yeah, well, yeah, that's pre- exactly what it is. Yeah, yeah, preaching to the choir. Um, I've got a couple different shows going, and this one is actually turning into an amalgam. The one I used to do on the side was called Alpha Geek Interviews, where I would do basically what we're doing now, which was a very self-serving show. In that I wanted to talk to cool people, and this was the perfect excuse. And oh yeah, well that's what the show we do. Triangulation is exactly the same thing. Yeah, so I mean, I'm, I'm absolutely right on board with you there, but it's been interesting that taking um, the experience that I had doing the irregular Alpha Geek interviews has fed into this now regular every week show we're doing in the form of Alpha Geek Fridays, and the third segment is kind of turning into a miniature Alpha Geek interview show accidentally, and I, it's working really well. So the thing I used to do kind of sort of whenever the heck I felt like it or whenever someone was available is now turning into a regular thing. Oops. Oh, darn. We get to talk to cool people every week. Ben, yeah. twist, twist my arm. Oh, darn. And, I, you know, I'm sorry you got stuck with me this week instead, but you'll get back. Oh, <laughs> humility is a wonderful thing. We were so looking forward to today, and we really appreciate you taking the time out of your obviously busy schedule to come talk with us on our little podcasting network. And conveniently, that brings us to the end of the show. So... You have been. I know. Well, I mean, we have to make way for this uh, Scott Johansson guy. Who That's comes Swedish. On, I don't know. He, he does this little instantaneous or, or the, the instance show. And <laughs> instance. Yeah. Instance. <laughs> nice. Ukape. Anyway. Uh, escape. The, yes, we have to make way for him. Because uh, he's gotten hooked on doing this whole simultaneous shoutcasting thing, I never. Sh- I, was, I was like a drug dealer. I should never have introduced him to <laughs> doing the low bandwidth streams. Like I can get mobile listeners. Sign me up. Um, yeah, exactly. So he's kind of a he's the he's the escape valve on our show to make sure we never get you know talk talking too too far. Gotcha. Um, this is indeed what we find. So 
You have been listening to Alpha Geek Fridays live on Versus the World Radio, vtwproductions.com. Please tune in. Now, next week's going to be different because I will be hosting the broadcast from the Porn Palace 2.0 in Vegas. But we will have our show at the normal bat time on the normal bat channel. We'll just be probably talking about a lot more CES because I will have had my fill at that point. Uh, it will be the beginning of the last day of the conference. And I'm likely to be quite exhausted and rather entertaining just because I won't be able to string sentences together. But we will be on the air from Vegas and via the miracle of the intertubes, Joel will be coming to us from Canada. Um, Waiting to hear back onto whether Total Biscuit will be joining us for that episode or not. If not, just watch the front page of vtwproductions.com for the announcement of who we will be having on our third half of the show next week at this time. Come visit us on the web, vtwproductions.com. Click on the Shows tab at the top of the page. Check out all the fine shows on the network. You will be glad that you did. Click on the Forums tab. Join the forum community. They are made uniformly of win and awesome. It's a community you want to be a part of. If you have comments, smart-ass remarks, observations for the show, the email address is fridays at alphageekradio.com. That is fridays, plural with an S, at alphageekradio.com. I have been the other Todd, sometimes known as Gnomewise. Joining me from Canada has been Joel Duggan, and our guest for this segment has been Tom Merritt. Tom, thank you again for joining us, and do you have a parting shot or some shameless plugging you would like to do of your projects? Sure. Uh, I wish I had some good shot for Scott Johnson, but instead I'll just say uh, (laughs) shot Johnson. TomMerritt.com is the place you can go if you want to find out more about the crazy stuff that I do. Thank you guys for having me on. This is really fun. Yeah, thanks. It was a treat, uh, treat to talk to you, my friend. Most excellent. So, in the meantime, we are out of here. We came, we saw, we kicked its ass.